Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. Do you embrace the opportunities that arise in your life? What could happen and where might you go if you fully embrace them? Today's guest is David Baga. From 2005 to 2009, David was a member of the University of Arizona men's basketball team where he was a walk-on. David embraced the opportunity to train alongside some of the greatest basketball athletes in the nation and under a Hall of Fame coach. During his time at Arizona, the team made it to the Sweet 16 and enjoyed the second longest NCAA tournament streak in college basketball history. They made 26 straight tournaments. Recognizing the unique experiences of a walk-on, he also published a book chronicling the experience aptly titled The Walk-On. In today's episode, David tells us about the work ethic he developed as a Division I men's basketball player at a top program. He also walks us through the process of penning his first book. To date, David has written three books. After careers in sport broadcasting and outside sales, in 2013, David founded the David Baga Company. The David Baga Company places medical device and B2B sales representatives throughout the nation. He tells us about building his business, which has become in the top 1% for executive sales recruiters in the United States. Desiring to help the individuals he works with win their sales jobs and also a career they're passionate about, David explains why athletes are uniquely positioned for successful jobs in sales. Here, he gives great advice to athletes who are interested in breaking into sales careers. He also tells athletes why they need to prepare for non-athletic careers during college, even if they plan on going pro. This episode is filled with great real-world advice and also some fun stories about a historic basketball program. Plus, if you listen to the end, you'll hear David's recommendation for the best Mexican restaurant in Tucson, and it's one I can agree with. So now, join me in welcoming David Baga to the Ruling Sports Podcast. David, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk about your athletic journey and your career beyond sports. Yeah, Alicia, thank you so much for having me and a huge shout out to you and to for what you've done with the Rolling Sports podcast and and just with your brand. I mean, I've been I've been able to see you grow over the years and it's been awesome to watch your journey. So I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. So for listeners who don't know, David and I have been friends for over a decade. We've kind of grown up in our professional careers together. So it's it's fun to come have this conversation. So David, we start the show the same way every time. And this is how we do it. What goal quote or mindset has guided your life? Uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to say a quote. Um, So there's two, 
Uh, the first one, since uh, I was a college basketball player and I had the privilege, uh, God rest his soul, I played for uh, Lute Olson. But he told me when I was 18, uh, when I was a walk-on there, he said, if you embrace the opportunity you get in life, it'll embrace you back. Hmm. And uh, I, I had that you know, on my phone every day. I read it every day. I kind of put it in my mindset every day before I, I start you know, work as a small business owner. So I really have embraced that quote throughout my life. And then the second one uh, was from the last dance documentary in 2020. In the opening scene of episode one, MJ is walking into the Berto Center and he talks about how management was going to break up the team and they want to go in a different direction. And it's his voice narrating when he's shooting. And then it shows Scottie Pippen lifting and Dennis Rodman lifting and and he says, my, my response to the team when he heard what Jerry Krause was going to do was let's put things aside, no matter what's going on. And let's focus on that craft of hmm. winning a six championship. And, you know, my business was impacted by COVID pretty bad. And I have no ego when it comes to saying that. So when I heard that quote, I wrote that down hmm. and I live by that every day too. So those are the two quotes that just really kind of are embedded in my head just because, you know, I, I feel like, and you know this too, I mean, the way the world is now, it's very polarizing. I think for hmm. everybody who lives in a glass house. And I think regardless of what you have going on in your life, if you focus on your craft, it'll lead to good things going forward. I think those are both such great pieces of advice. And what struck me as you were talking is they really go together because if you embrace the opportunity, opportunity comes in myriad ways. What you thought might happen with your life or where you thought your career was going might not be what actually happens, but something even better might be waiting for you at the end. But if you've been perfecting your craft in that time, in the waiting or in the journey, once the opportunity reaches you, you're going to be ready to capture it. So I, I think that those are two beautiful quotes. I mean, look, being I'm, I'm a former athlete, so it's like I relate everything I do to, you know, I don't want to say to basketball, but I get inspired. I try to, you know, take what I've learned from that and apply it to what I do now in my career. And, and you know, and look, Coach Olson, I mean, outside of my dad, Coach Olson impacted my life so much. And I wouldn't hmm. be able to be here talking to you today if it wasn't for him. And uh, I never met the guy, but Michael Jordan as a, as a kid in the 90s is someone who still plays in his retro Jordan shoes. <laughs> he impacted my life so much too. And just having those two quotes to live by is something that it's really powerful stuff. Yeah. Okay. So listen, there, there's still time to meet Michael Jordan. That still may happen in your life. I'm someone who doesn't live with regrets. I, I have three regrets in my life. My first regret is I quit piano lessons. My second regret is I quit dance class. My third regret, which might be the biggest of them, is in 2013, as I was building my journalism career, I was a practicing attorney. Mm -hmm. And my boss at the time was really nice in giving me time off to go travel the country reporting on the Super Bowl, the NBA finals, the All-Star Game, et cetera. I was credentialed for the NBA All-Star Game in 2013, which is the year Michael Jordan turned 50. Yeah. And the NBA invited me to Michael Jordan's private birthday party, which always takes place at All-Star. Every year at All-Star, Jordan throws a party. It's usually 
usually a pretty big event. You're not going to mix and mingle with Michael Jordan. And I had just been on the road for about 10 days for the Super Bowl. And I was like, no, I can't really afford to take any time off. I'll fly down to Houston on, let's just call it Friday. That was stupid because what they invited me to was literally a private dinner with about 20 people where I would have been sitting at a table with Michael Jordan. And so I I would have gotten one-on-one time with him. So that's my third regret (laughs) in life. Well, hey, you know what? Maybe hey, someday, hopefully, we can both meet him, right? So that's that, that's the goal. Yeah, it's coming. I, I think this is my year, but we'll get to that in another thing. So you, you've mentioned thus far in our conversation that you played college basketball at the University of Arizona under the great Lou Olson. You were a walk-on on that team. You actually published a book called The Walk-On that yeah. detailed your journey as a member of the Arizona basketball team. How did you get into the sport? I was a pretty late bloomer. I was a fan of basketball as a kid. I didn't play in my first like little league or, or you know, rec league until I was about 11 or 12. I kind of got into it. I remember when I was like six, I got uh, really good grades, I think in like kindergarten or first grade or something. And my, and my dad, he had surprised me because I was growing quickly and my hands were getting bigger. My feet were getting bigger. And at the time, this was like, what, 1992, he had surprised me with a pair of Air Jordan shoes. And I like, I I didn't really, I watched basketball with my dad. And like, I didn't really play it yet. And he also got me a Fisher Price hoop. And he was like, hey, he's like, it's kind of a package deal here. And they put it, you know, in the kitchen, I would just and I would just kind of throw it from long distance, and it would always go in. And I didn't know if it was like magnetized to the the ball was magnetized (laughs) to the hoop, or if it was like, if I could actually shoot. And I remember my dad was always telling me, he was like, yeah, he was like, he's like, you would love to just shoot, shoot, shoot. And, but I didn't really like take it that like seriously. And then uh, when I was, as I got a little bit, like, as I kind of grew as a kid, I was around 10 or 11 and we were playing outside in the playground in the neighborhood. And I was the only guy there that wasn't in like the youth league with all my neighbors, but I was destroying all of them. And and when I say destroying, I was just hitting like just a bunch of jumpers. And one of the parents was like, Hey, you know, you should take your son to the tryout in a couple of weeks. And I just remember like, I was a little out of shape, but I was like, but I was, cause I'd never like gone like really that fast pace before, but I always had that jump shot. And, uh, and I remember I I shot pretty well. And the coach was like, Hey, he's like, this kid is going to start for us and and Hmm. play with us. I was always, I was like taller, but not as tall as I am now because I'm six, five now, but like they had kind of just told me, they were like, Hey, you're, you're going to be like our, our catch and shoot guy. And this was at like 11 years old and it was a lot of fun. And I just, but I wasn't really like enjoying it as much as I thought I was. So I kind of took a year and I didn't really play. I did it for one season and I stopped playing. And then, and then a couple of years later, going into eighth grade, I went from five, eight to six, two. And so once I got to eighth grade, like it was kind of the same thing. Like I was like, Hey, I'm going to try out for the eighth grade team. I made it and I kind of fell in love with just being like just a three point shooter, you know, way back in the day. Like, cause I, I would watch guys like Steve Kerr, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, uh, Del Curry, you know, just all the shooters like that, like Tony Kukoc. And I was like, as much as I loved watching Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen play, like in all the 90s superstars, I loved watching all those shooters. So I, I wound up making the team in eighth grade uh, and I was recruited to modern day high school as a 14 year old. Didn't make varsity uh, my first two years, but I made it my last two. Unfortunately, because uh, the team was so loaded with D1 talent, 
I was a bench player. I backed up a kid that wound up going to Duke. My thought process was like, all right, if I'm not getting that much run, I want to still experience the D1 environment. So I'll be a walk-on. <laughs> I wound up writing 250 letters. And I sent at that time, which was about 125 to 150 DVDs uh, in <laughs> 2004, going into my senior year of like my summer highlights and uh, Arizona happened to respond. And coach Olson came out to recruit one of my other teammates, he remembered me and he saw from the letter that I wrote and he saw me and uh, he gave me the go ahead to walk on. And that's kind of how it happened. For those of you who aren't familiar with Southern California, David grew up in Orange County, Irvine's a city in Orange County. Modern day is one of the top, not only athletic, but also academic high schools in Southern California produces a lot of college basketball and also college football talent. So you, you were on this like loaded high school roster, grinding, hustling, sending letters, 250 of them. If you don't know yeah. what a DVD is, Google it, uh, not something <laughs> you're buying anymore, but coach Olson bit, he bit on the offer. That's incredible. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was him and his coaching staff. So the, the, the two that bit first were actually Josh Pastner and Jack Murphy. And Murphy, Murphy is, um, he's the associate head coach now under Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. And I related to, to Josh pretty quickly. And when they, and so they all came out here one at a time. But the funny thing was, Alicia, was that Coach Olson came out here first. And, you know, you remember, I have, you know, for better or for worse, I have a memory like an elephant. And, you know, you remember all the things that impact your life, right? And so mm. when Coach Olson came out here, you know, I got to meet him and he kind of looked me up and down. He was kind of sizing me up a little bit. I mean, his, his people don't realize like his hands were pretty much the same size, I think, as, as Michael Jordan's hands. They were huge. When I shook his hand, I was like, I was like, wow. And then Josh Pastor came out and then Jack Murphy was the one when he came out, we wound up having like the hour conversation. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? And, um, you know, he talked, they talked to my parents, you know, it was pretty shell shocking, like just to get the okay, because, you know, as an 18 year old, you're like, I don't want to say you're lost, but you know, you're trying to figure out, you want to be popular with high school and you want to have that, you want to have that notoriety. And I'll never forget, uh, Murph gave me a, like a Nike elite, uh, Arizona sweatshirt. It was like a hoodie. And um, I remember when I saw it online or in the East Bay catalog, it was like 150 bucks. And he gave it to me in a package in the mail. And it just had like a note in there. And it just said, you know, welcome to the program. And it said like, you know, it had like the bear down. It's like, we can't wait for you to get here. And I was just like, whoa. I was like, all right. I was like, I think this will get me a spot like at the cool table in the cafeteria. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Yeah. Hey. So, I mean, these days kids are getting Lamborghinis. So yeah. I wish I knew you then I could have negotiated a better deal for you, but that, that's nice. Yeah, I, that's really I nice. know, right? We needed NIL <laughs> back in 2005, but yeah, but I mean, the whole, the whole process of coming a walk on was something that I was really grateful for. And then getting there and, and being there was, you know, just so surreal in itself. Listen, it, it sounds like that was an incredible time. You've yeah. shared already one quote that you took away from your coach at Arizona. Beyond that, what, what's the greatest lesson you took away from being a division one college basketball player at one of the most noteworthy programs? The biggest takeaway for me was developing a work ethic. I think a lot of people to this day, and you know, this being in the, in the sports world is that a lot of people, I think Alicia still don't know what a walk-on is or does. And I always said that a walk-on is the bridge between the team that you're on and the students. 
and that fan base. You know, I, I wasn't a four or five star player, but what I learned was being around guys like Chase Buttinger, Jared Bayless, Jordan Hill, uh, Hassan Adams, Mustafa Shakur. You know, I backed up some of those guys that went on to the NBA. I mean, they all went on to the NBA. I learned from them pretty quickly at 18 years old. I was like, okay, I have to learn how to keep up. And I'm going to do that by, by showing up earlier than them. Even though if I'm not going to get to play, you know, the, the practice floor at McHale is my Broadway show. That's my, that is my NCAA tournament game. That's my canvas for me to brush and to paint and do all that. So I learned to have that work ethic pretty quickly. And for me, it was always a competitive thing. It was like, okay, I have to be the first one to the workouts. I have to be the first one to weightlifting, the first one to film, the first one to class, the first one to practice, to get my ankles taped. Every little thing, Alicia, I was the first person there. And I started becoming like, all right, now I'm going to be the last one to leave. For me, it started on this machine called the gun. And any basketball player that's listening to this or watching this, it's a machine that spits out the basketballs to you super quick. So, you know, Coach Olson and Miles Simon and Josh Pastner and Coach Rosborough would tell us, they'd be like, those are our coaching staff at the time. They'd be like, hey, we'd like you guys to each do around like 350 to 500 makes a week. I was doing 750 a night. Wow. And yeah. And so I kind of knew I was like, I'm going to put the work in mm -hmm. because I'm going to show them that like, hey, there should never be another thought in the coaching staff's head. Like we need another walk on besides Baga. So that was my mentality was developing the work ethic until, and, and to coach Olson's credit, you know, he said, he was like, if you, if you work hard, it will open doors up and it'll carry mm -hmm. you. And he's, he was right. That, that's so cool. We, we actually had another walk on, on the show. It's funny. Like, as you were talking, like, wow, I'm friends with a lot of walk-ons. Yeah, um, hey, we're, we're, we're the nicest ones to be friends with. Totally. Right? <laughs> um, so Todd Birak, he played at Syracuse and a lot of the advice that you're giving rings true for Todd. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. Um, it's also a great conversation. Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. So hard work, I, I think that is frankly one of the best attributes anyone can take through life, learning their craft, being open to the opportunity, embracing the opportunity, but also working hard. One thing that you did that's unique that brought that hard work forward is after your college basketball career was done, you wrote about it in the book called The Walk-On. Why? Why did you take the effort to do that? So how it happened was um, in 2005, we had a banquet, you know, at the hotels. And you've been to Tucson before. At these banquets, there's 15 tables with all the boosters. And they have pictures of uh, the player that's going to be sitting at the table, like an action shot. And um, because I had joined the team like a little later in the summer, you know, about five, basically, like after everybody was signed, sealed and delivered, I didn't have like a picture yet of being on the roster. And um, one of the big boosters uh, that had donated to the program, she was sitting right next to me. 
And she kind of whispered in my ear, she's like, do you know what player is going to be sitting with us? And I just kind of like looked around and like, and, and I was like, oh yeah, I was like, it's, it's me. And she was like, who the hell are you? Like, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm David Bagger. Like I'm from Orange County, California. I was like, I'm a walk-on. And what happened was I told her my story and she's like, how did you, so everybody wanted to know, they were like, how did you get here? Like, why did coach Olson pick you? And I told her, I was like, you know, I wrote, you know, over 250 letters. I sent almost 150, you know, DVDs of my highlight package and uh, about 15 division one schools responded. And I said, I was like, I really had to kind of grind to get here. And when I told them the story, Alicia, this woman that was like kind of questioning why I was there, she was like crying. She was in tears. And uh, she had a book with her that she was reading before the banquet started. And she just said, she was like, well, what's your major? And I said, oh, I'm majoring in like uh, communications. It's part of the interdisciplinary studies program. And I'm also minoring in creative writing because I wanted to go into broadcasting. She was like, your story would make a great book. And she said, she was like, everybody knows, you know, the all American story because it's always publicized, but she's like, to be at the end of the bench and to, she's like, if you stay here all four years, she's like, cause it, I know it can be pretty, not draining, but she's like, it can be pretty demoralizing when you know that you can play, but you're at the end of the bench and you know, you're not going to play more than maybe like two to five minutes, if that. And she's like, so mentally you have to, you know, really stick it out and know what your role is. And I was excited. I was more excited when she said that I was like, all right, I'm going to prove to you, to her, to everybody here that not only that I belong, but like my story will impact some people. Yeah. And I went back to my dorm that night and uh, I had to write a paper anyway. So I opened up a word document and I just started like, writing about what happened in practice, what happened on campus, how I was feeling, just the emotions of that. And then I turned it into a manuscript over four hmm. years. And then in 2010, you know, I self-published it. And the more people I talked to about it, I was just like, hey, what do you think? Like, mm -hmm. would parents be interested in this for their kids? Because you know how it is. Like every parent wants their kid to go to the NBA, the NFL, or go pro in their sport. But the, the reality is that it's like 0.00001% of people are going to actually make it. Mm. And so I feel like my story is probably more relatable mm -hmm. to a lot of kids because, you know, you grind and you grind and, and you finally get that chance just to be a part of the team. And so that's why I did it. And it was, it was a fun experience. It was therapeutic, you know, just kind of running through stuff. Like when I got hazed into the team, like I would break down and cry. Like when I was writing certain things and I was like, you have to, you have to be strong because there might be a kid somewhere that's like, Hey, I'm on the fence about being a walk on, but they're like, Hey, if they hear this story or if they see my book, they might be like, you know what? I'll do it. Like just to, to get the experience too. I kept it pretty hush hush for about two or three years. And then when I did tell my teammates, that was pretty interesting. I mean, they all, they would all ask like, what are you going to talk about us? And, and I didn't tell everything because I didn't want to throw them under the bus, but I wanted to be real enough to the point where I was like, all right, like, this is what a walk-on goes through. But yeah. there is a lot of good stuff in there that you're like, damn, like, this is wild. <laughs> Today and for the last decade, you've been the CEO of your own company, the David Baga Company. Mm -hmm. First, tell us what motivated you to pursue entrepreneurship. Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, knock on wood, it's been a fun, uh, almost 10 year journey. I started in the summer of 2013. Um, I was I was a rep at Paychex uh, selling payroll. I love those those companies. We talk to reps every day from that company. And 
for the jobs that I fill and, and which I'll get into in a sec. But what happened was when I had gotten done playing, I played overseas and then it did, I didn't make it. And I did the whole NBA D league tryout circuit, didn't make it again. And that, and, you know, as you know, I went to broadcasting uh, for women's basketball and I was trying to figure out, okay, like what is my niche going to be? And when I was at paychecks as a sales rep, I was in a unique situation, Alicia, because I had a manager that kind of, she was awesome and she got pregnant and then never came back. So I had all this free time, you know, as an outside sales rep to be like, all right, I can kind of figure out what I want to do. I met some other friends that are now friends of mine, um, two gentlemen named Dallas and Bimbo and Nicholas Kavisevich. And at the time they were also both walk-ons uh, in college basketball too. Dallas played at UC Davis. Uh, Nick was a walk-on and Nick was a walk-on at San Jose State for a couple of years. Then he transferred to an NAI school in Kansas. So when they moved out to Orange County, we all met playing basketball. And when I got to know them and found out what they did, we were all the same age around 25, 26. And when you see people that are your age that are doing something like that and they're successful, you get inspired by that in some way, shape or form, right? So I talked to Dallas and Nick and I was like, you know, okay, can you help me like kind of figure out what to, what to do? And, and I took both of them out to lunch. My dad had helped me put a business plan together. I took it to them and they kind of tweaked it. And they just said, they were like, hey, you know, you're a connector. Um, you made some introductions for us at the gym playing basketball. And they're like, you got to find a way to monetize it. And mm -hmm. um, I had been hit up by uh, med device recruiters on LinkedIn, but I never responded to any of them. And when I found out what they do every day, they were like, hey, we talked to former athletes like you pretty much every day for these jobs. And I was like, you know what? That seems like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell into it when I was at paychecks. I started doing it kind of on the side. And I had so much more fun doing this than what I was doing as an outside sales rep. Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, I wound up partnering with this recruiter out of LA. And um, I wound up placing about seven of my coworkers at med device jobs, like through this recruiter, like at Stryker, at Olympus. And I believe it was, med I think it was Medtronic or CR Bard, or, which mm -hmm. is now BD. And so these were all like associate positions and like entry-level sales rep jobs. And she was nice enough to split the commission with me. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm saying this because like, that's how I kind of fell into it. Mm -hmm. And and I was just like, man, like, it's so much fun. Like, you know, three or four guys out of the seven people that I've placed were like football players and baseball <laughs> players. And, you know, it felt like we were back in the weight room or the training room again. And so once I had the business plan down and I kind of, you know, was spending more time on the phone than I was like selling payroll, I was like, all right, I'm going to transition into this. And then I told my parents, I was like, hey, just give me two years. And I was like, worst case scenario, it'll open the door up for something else. <laughs> and you know, I'm happy to say, I mean, knock on wood, it's been almost 10 and, you know, and it's been, and I'm, I'm thoroughly in love with what I do. In case listeners couldn't fully pick up, tell us what exactly you do with the David Baggett company. Yeah. So we specialize in placing medical device sales reps and software sales reps all across the country. So hmm. most of the jobs that I do, Alicia, are entry level sales rep jobs. So for anybody that's listening out there, like if you are looking to pursue a career in that field, if you have one or two years of B2B sales experience, that's what I do. Like I take your resume, send it to managers, 
and we recruit you guys for these jobs. So that has been my, my niche or niche for the last, you know, almost 10 years now. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, I deal with sales reps every single day, like myself, like you, they have a story to tell mm-hmm. and they have, they have unique stories to tell. And so I'm on the phone for almost 10 hours a day. Um, wow. And I think, you know, better for better, or for worse, I am a talker. So um, <laughs> it kind of fits with my personality and, um, but yeah, we specialize in, you know, recruiting and placing people in the medical device sales industry and the software sales industry, specifically, usually the cybersecurity space. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun. It has its ups and downs like anything else, but I love to help people and I love to, you know, connect people. And so it's uh, that, that's, that's what I do. There's so much I love about this, but I want to come back to a point that you made a couple minutes ago. So you meet these two men at the gym, Mm -hmm. they sit you down, they take a look at the business plan you created. And one thing they tell you is you're a connector. You can monetize that. I think so many athletes don't realize that that is one of their greatest selling strengths. If you're on an NCAA football team, there are 128 men on that team. You have tens of coaches. You have tens of boosters that are surrounding you, athletics directors, different staff members, trainers. You have a network of hundreds of people that is monetizable, but you probably need to talk to a mentor to figure out how to do that. I I love that you had that realization. Thanks. Yeah. Really like long story short, what happened was those two gentlemen at the time, they ran a company called Kush Bottles, which is now I think Kush Co Holdings. And, you know, it's medical cannabis and medical marijuana in the bottling space. And they needed to meet somebody. I think they were looking for somebody that had connections in the plastics uh, space. And a friend of mine that I had worked out with a few times was a plastic sales rep. And he was like a, a plastics manufacturer rep. And so I was able to introduce them all while we were playing basketball. And long story short, they wound up, you know, doing some, I think a little business together, but it happened. I was able to do it quick. I was like, Hey, this is the guy you need to talk to. And the next day I introduced him to them because we were all gym rats. And then that's when my friend Dallas, he had told me, and for those of you that don't uh, know him, he is the business partner of a gentleman named Dominic Chambrone, who on social media is known as the shoe surgeon if that name rings a bell. So, yes. Yeah. My friend's so his da- publicist. Yeah. So Dallas is Dallas and Dominic, our business partners. Dallas was the one that he was the one that really put the bug in my ear. And then Nick was shortly after him. And he was just like, look, man, he's like, you are a talker for better or for worse. You love to connect people and you're good at it. And he's like, this is what you should try and do. That's how everything kind of unfolded. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Ruling Sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. Now, like you mentioned, you're helping largely former athletes position themselves for sales careers. You and I have talked about this at length, but... I think for others, it might not be obvious why athletes have the potential for massive success as salespeople. Can you explain to us why athletes are uniquely positioned for sales careers? Yes. What I'll say first is because I'm a former college and I guess pro athlete, I guess if you consider trying out and making a team for a couple of weeks of pro or a couple of months of pro athlete, but being a former college and pro athlete, like I believe that athletes make the best reps if 
they are out of that mentality where they where they can't listen to anybody and they can kind of pivot into having an open mind and listening to people and taking that constructive criticism now i help everybody athlete non-athlete but athletes to me make the best sales reps because when you are on that routine alicia of having a 4 a.m workout every day for six months out of the year then you have to go to class for four or five hours in the day then you have you know a practice and you're you're in the trenches for for four or five years as an athlete as a college athlete and then if you get fortunate enough to go pro you have that discipline and that work ethic and a lot of these med device companies and software companies and really, I think, you know, sales companies in general, they want people that have that, you know, that work ethic, that hunger, that drive, that first one in, last one out mentality. And if you play it the right way, you know, you're talking, you have 22 to 24 year olds now that are out of college that can start off making $125,000 mm -hmm. or more if they put the work in and if they really, you know, embrace what they're doing. Right. And so, mm -hmm. But I think that that drive, that discipline, that hunger is what makes athletes so successful as sales reps. And I think because they're in a competitive environment, right? You know, when you're on a team of 10 or 11 reps in the West Coast as a med device rep, and seven of those reps are other former athletes, it's kind of like, all right, I'm back in the weight room again with my teammates, or I'm back in study hall again, or on the field or on the court. And you get to compete and show your competitive side. So mm -hmm. that to me is why, you know, why athletes, you know, should pursue a hardcore sales career and it doesn't have to be medical device. It doesn't have to be software sales. It's just that that competitive environment really brings a lot out of athletes every single day. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're an athlete listening to this and you're like, Ooh, okay, that sounds interesting. I don't want to do medical device. I don't want to do cybersecurity. There is a huge sports sales market. So teams, but also athletics departments have mm -hmm. to fundraise, which is kind of their version of sales. So, so many great careers. If I'm listening to this, I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. I want to pursue this. What advice would you give to an athlete who wants to break into a sales career? So the advice that I would give to an athlete that does want to pursue a hardcore sales career. And that's not just med device or, you know, cybersecurity software start early, like start inquiring earlier than later. And the reason why I say that is because the biggest mistake that I made is that I was pretty like pretty cocky when I was 22, because coming from a blue blood program like Arizona, and then, you know, hearing somebody like coach Olson say, like, you can play overseas for like, five to 10 years, if you play your cards, right. I thought that was going to be my life for mm -hmm. the first, like seven to 10 years post-college. And it was shell shocking when, when I didn't make it. And the mistake that I made, you know, was that I didn't inquire about this stuff earlier. Like mm -hmm. I was so focused on school and basketball and graduating. So when I would see some of those swimmers, some of those track and field athletes, some of those tennis players, the other athletes at McHale center, when they were interning with like Fox sports, Arizona, or one of them said they had an internship with like a pharmaceutical company or a med device company. I was like, why? And, you know, so you're, you're kind of thinking about that stuff and you're like, why aren't you working out? Like, why aren't you doing two a days with us? Right. But then you realize it's like, Oh, like that person now fast forward four or five years is like mm -hmm. making 200 grand. Right. Or more. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice to athletes is that yep. start networking now, 
start the process earlier while you're still in school. LinkedIn is obviously the mecca for that stuff is the best platform in the world for that because what's going to happen is, you know, the world is getting younger, right? And, you know, Gen Z is proving that with all those younger kids that are making money through social media. And now mm -hmm. athletes are making money through NIL. It's the same thing with sales reps. You are going to have Alicia 21 and 22 year olds that are going to have deals locked up when they graduate to start at a med device company or at a B2B company 30 days after graduation mm -hmm. or 15 days after graduation. It's like, Hey, you know, we know that you're graduating. We see something in you. We want to take you now and mold you, you know, and, and get you started at our company now. So in three to five years, maybe you're a sales manager, mm -hmm. maybe you're a sales executive and that's where the world is heading. But to get there to that point, as you know, whether you're, you know, an athlete or non-athlete, you you have to start inquiring why yeah. because it's a process. I think that's such a great way to put it because really what you're talking about is athlete identity. Mm -hmm. People around us are telling us you're so great. You're so great. You're going to XYZ place. And when you are that high level of an athlete, it's your soul, it's your purpose, it's your first true love. And so you want to see that thing forward. But what's happening is you're not fully and truly preparing for your future. And so it's a right. delicate balance because you want to hold on to that hope that, yes, I am going pro in this thing that I love. But the reality of the situation is even if you go pro in that thing that you love, it's a truncated short career where you're going to have a lot of life ahead of you. So I, I think David just gave incredible advice of how to approach it from a mindset and also actionable items. But the, and the thing too, is, and you know, this, because I think we graduated college, you know, around the same, close to the same timeline was that college athletes now, Alicia have so many more resources mm -hmm. than we did back in 2009. I remember hearing, I mean, LinkedIn is my only social media, but I remember hearing in one of my communications classes about a platform with a logo that was a baby blue bird called Twitter. And this was like in the spring of 2009. And I remember at the time I just had, I just had Facebook and I was like, you know, okay. At that time I had like what 12,000 friends on Facebook because 12,000. Wow. Well, because, all because of U of A basketball. Right. Okay. And because, you know, right. and, but I mean, but you look at it now, it's like, I mean, students have like, they, I mean, you know, we weren't thinking about LinkedIn at that point. We weren't yeah. thinking about you know, doing like a video resume, introducing ourselves for two minutes and sending that out to a hiring mm -hmm. manager, which you can do now all within the power of, of your phone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my point is, is that, you know, as an athlete, just as a student in general, like you have so many more resources at your disposal. So to start, like to be able to start earlier, I mean, you have, you, you, you have that opportunity, which is great. Yeah. I'm definitely a little bit older than you because I remember when <laughs> Facebook came out and at first you could only friend people at your school. Yep. But I remember the day that the walls came down and we got to friend people other places. I ditched all my classes <laughs> and I went online and I built a cool little network of friends around the world. So kids, you don't know how good you have it. And David and I are old. So <laughs> this, this has been such a fun conversation. One thing listeners might want to know though, what's the best Mexican restaurant in Tucson? Uh, I'm going to say Guadalajara grill. Yes. Uh, that's of, the answer. Uh, I think it's, I think it's off of Broadway and Craycroft, I think still, if I remember correctly, cause I'll be in, we have our recruiting conference in Tucson in April and I'll be out there and I'm, I'm going there. So 
Um, that's that's one of the first stops that I'm gonna go is is Guadalajara Grill. Yeah. yeah, that was we used to have our team meals there. So that that place is awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. If you can't tell, David is a hilarious guy. I'm grateful for your friendship Thanks. all these years. Likewise. How can listeners keep up with you? So yeah, I am on LinkedIn. If you want to uh, follow me on there or connect with me on there, I'm under the name David Baga. So that's that's probably the best way. We do have a company website. It's just uh, davidbaga.com. So that way uh, you guys can see our job postings, or you can kind of see about our company, about kind of my story, how we started everything. And, but yeah, pretty, uh, pretty easy peasy with that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.